please join me in prayer. Lord God, um, we praise and thank you for this time to come together as church family and to worship you together. We each come to you from different places this morning, some hurried, some tired, some rested, some in a season of doubt, others confident, some hurting and others rejoicing. We're thankful that we can come as we are and know that we're held by you, loved by you, kept by you. We thank you for the good things you are doing here at PBCC as well as in our country and world. These things can get overlooked as we so often focus on the brokenness that we see around us, but we wanna take a few moments to thank and praise you for the ways that we see your spirit at work in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and beyond. We'll silently each thank and praise you now. We praise you, God. We also pray over the brokenness in our world, in all the dark places where there's suffering, injustice, persecution. God, would you intervene with the light and love and hope of Jesus? We pray for those all over our country who are impacted by the extreme weather that we've had, especially by the recent tornado. And we just ask for your protection. Um, and close to home, we think of Emily Morgan and pray for her as she recovers from her surgery. Please give her good rest, Lord, and help her body to heal. God, we give you the rest of our morning together. Give us ears to hear and help us to draw near to you as we either hear from Sean here in the auditorium, Becca in the youth room, or Sunday school teachers in the classrooms. As we draw near to you, would you also unite us as church family? Strengthen our bonds and help us to care for one another well. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. 
I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction. The scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have not given them your word, and the world... Oh, I have given them your word, sorry. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in, your, in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them." Good job, Malaya. We'll get to that in a little bit. Well done. Wasn't that great? Yeah, another round of applause. Good job. Well, good morning. And uh, it's good to see you all here today on a sunny day. So that's great. And I invite you once again this morning for the third of four Sundays into what has been called the Holy of Holies. I invite you into another exploration of one side of the conversation at the center of the universe. For here in John 17, Jesus, the Son of God, opens his heart to God, God the Father. Here, the incarnate God Praise to God. It is indeed holy space. Which is why one Puritan pastor named Thomas Manton preached 45 Puritan length sermons on John 17 alone. You'll be thankful I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but I get it because as I've lived in John 17, the more I've lived in it, the, the richer it has become. And I'm starting to think that four Sundays isn't enough. But before we get into our text, let's, let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for your great love for us. 
And out of that love, you sent your son, Jesus, to show us who you are and what you are like. And now in your mercy and grace, and by your spirit, would you open the eyes of our heart this morning to see your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jesus is indeed the man of prayer. He's a Jew. And the Jews had a way of being that was entirely shaped by prayer. As a devout Jew, Jesus would have stopped to pray three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening. As a faithful Jew, Jesus would have participated in the Sabbath prayers in the synagogue. And as a good Jew, Jesus would have prayed the prayer book of Israel, the Psalms. His mother Mary would have taught him to pray the Psalms. Imagine that, a human being teaching the incarnate God to pray. And of course, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus as the man of prayer. He is always slipping away to pray, to be with his Father. But we rarely hear what he says. But here in John 17, we hear what he says. And why? Well, as I said a couple weeks ago, I think there are at least three reasons he allows us to hear his prayer. One, so that we can know what is on his heart, so that we can know his deepest desires. Two, so that our hearts might beat with those same desires. As he opens his heart to us, our hearts begin to beat to the same rhythm as his heart. And three, so that we might know what he'll be praying after he ascends to the throne. This prayer encapsulates the kinds of things he continues to pray when he is on his throne as the great intercessor. So as Hebrews says, Jesus always lives to intercede for us. So now, as we enter into this space, for the third time, we continue to listen. We simply are listening to Jesus pray. And we are asking a question as we're listening. We're asking, what does Jesus want? What does Jesus desire his Father to do. And particularly, what does he desire his Father to do for us? So far, we've seen things like he desires for us to know who his Father is and what he's like. He wants us to know that we are gifts from his Father to him. He desires for us to have eternal life. He desires us to be kept in the world, in the Father's name, and from the evil one. Now, as I've spoken to a few of you this week, um, this word keep has resonated with you. Keep, just to remind you, doesn't mean we are kept from suffering or pain or danger. Because as Jesus says himself, he sends us into the world just as he was sent. He sends us into the world just as he was sent right into the midst of the suffering, 
pain and danger. But keep means that while we are in the world, Jesus prays that his father would pay careful attention to us, would watch over us, would hold us in his strong hands now and forever. That's what Jesus is praying for. And Jesus also desires for us to experience the fullness of his joy, not just any joy, but the Jesus joy. That is all that he is praying for us that we've covered so far. But there's more. And, and Jesus desires for us to be included into the oneness of the Trinity. Wow. Let's spend some time here. See, the living God is not a solitary God. The living God is not an isolated God. The living God is a God of relationships. From all eternity, God has lived in relationship as a community of persons, as a family. And the good news that we hear in John 17 is that Jesus desires for us to be included in the family of relationships, to live in and be alive in the oneness of the triune God of love. It blows the circuit breakers of our minds. Well, it blows the circuit breakers of my mind, maybe not yours. But listen to what Jesus prays. Put your head on Jesus' heart and listen. Three times Jesus prays for oneness. Verse 11, that they may be one. Verse 21, that they may be one. Verse 22, that they may be one. And each time he prays it, he prays a definition of oneness. Verse 11, even as we are one. Verse 21, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. And verse 22, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. One. Not uniform. As someone has said, Jesus is far too creative for uniformity. But one. Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Anglican, Alliance, Pentecostal, Catholic, Orthodox, one. Introverts, extroverts, and everyone in between, one. Activists, contemplatives, prophetic types, administrative types, deacon types, giving types, and everyone in between, one. One. Even as, or just as, the oneness of God. Even as means in the same way and to the same degree. So Jesus is praying for one in the same way and to the same degree as the we in Jesus' words. Yes, Jesus wants us, wants us to be one like the oneness he and his Father enjoy. But more than that, Jesus wants us to be one in 
the oneness he and the Father enjoy. In. There's that preposition again. Remember, we've seen it several times throughout the Upper Room Discourse, haven't we? In chapter 14, if you remember, Jesus said, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, would come to be with us and in us. Jesus also said that on that day when the Spirit comes, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I in you. A few verses later, he will say that if we love him and keep his commandments, he and the Father will come and make their dwelling with us. That's what we read in our call to worship this morning. It's a lot of ins. And this inness or oneness is what Jesus is praying in his John 17 prayer. One because in. One because in. Once again, the oneness Jesus wants for his disciples is not simply modeled on the oneness of God. The oneness Jesus desires for his disciples participates in the oneness of God. In other words, it's not just about imitating God, it's about participating in God. It's about disciples being called into the oneness of God. It, it stretches our minds. The Father, Son, and Spirit not only live in constant communion with one another, they actually live in one another. The Father, Son, and Spirit not only embrace one another, they enter, they enter into one another. They permeate one another. They indwell one another. On the top of our window here, we have a picture, um, an ancient symbol, there it is, called the trefoil. This is an ancient symbol for the Trinity. It's formed by three interlocking footballs. <laughs> <laughs> or ovals or whatever. When, when Bernard teaches on the window, he says this about the trefoil. He says, God is, all, is and always has been a triune God, three in one. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, and the Spirit eternally proceeds from the Father through the Son. The Trinity is a community of perfect love, goodness, and fulfillment. And we're invited in. The Father, Son, and Spirit are in constant communion with one another, but they're also in one another. Back and forth, as in a great dance, no person of the Trinity ever living alone, no person of the Trinity ever living apart from the others. Each person giving themselves to the others, always pouring themselves out for and into the others. Jürgen Moltmann, who's a German theologian, he says it this way, the divine persons exist not only in relationship to one another, but also in one another. And what Jesus is praying for here is that we be included. We be included in these relationships into the oneness of God. Now, when I talk about this extraordinary truth, I can't help but return to this icon, which we used last fall when we were talking about this. It's Rublev's icon. It's called the Holy Trinity, and it shows the divine love of inness. 
So what we find here is we find the Trinitarian God extending his heart and his hands, his life and his love to us. God, Father, Son, and Spirit opens himself up to us and includes us in his life and love. And as you can see, the the side of the table closest to us is empty. That's for you. That's for you. You and me, we are included at the table with the Trinitarian God. For we were once strangers, excluded from the covenants of promise, having no hope. But because of divine love, demonstrated through the blood of Jesus, we've been brought near, even into the very life of God. We were once excluded, but now we're included. Once again, we're not called to only become one like God is one. We're called to join in. The Trinitarian God being one. One because in. One because we're included in the life and love of God. When Paul is on Mars Hill, he'll say to the philosophers, in him we live and move and have our being. He doesn't say because of him we live and move and have our being. He says in him we live and move and have our being. Now, because this is such a difficult concept, I thought I'd try another lesson, object lesson. No illustration will ever get totally at this mystery. Every illustration falls short at some point. But um, maybe this will help. This, you probably don't know what these toys are from looking at it now, but when I do this, you'll know. These are um, the, the nesting dolls, Russian nesting dolls. Okay, and so we have one inside of another one, inside of another one, and in this case, I have four of them. So, we get this picture of inness. So, Father, Son, Disciple, Spirit, we get the Spirit living in the Disciple, living in Christ, living in God the Father. In, in, in. Now what is wonderful about John 17 is this. When Jesus prays using the preposition in, we expect to hear Father, Son, and Spirit. Instead, guess what we hear? Father, Son, and disciples. Notice the Spirit isn't said in the prayer. In John 17, the disciples are said to enjoy the very relationship that the Spirit is not said to enjoy. Now, the Spirit enjoys it. Don't get me wrong, but it's not said so. Here in John 17, what is said is that we disciples are given the place in the relationship with the Father and the Son where we expect to hear the Spirit. 
Thomas Menton, as with many other theologians, calls this the mystical union. It's the mystery and wonder of salvation, the wonderful inclusion of disciples within the exchange of divine life and love. Disciples are included. And that's what Jesus is praying for here, for those the Father has given him. He wants inclusion into that life and love of the Trinity. Now it turns out it's the work of the Spirit, as we saw throughout the Upper Room Discourse. The Spirit brings us into the Son and with the Son into the Father. It's all the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is called the shy member of the Trinity because he's always pointing away from himself to the Father and the Son. And so I think the Spirit would say, I'm included too. I'm included too, but that's not the point. I want to include you within these relationships. Well, as I was talking to Eugene this week about how to, how to preach this difficult concept, he reminded me of how much honor and how much dignity this gives us, right? Last week I pointed out the honor Jesus gives us by calling us gifts, gifts from the Father to him. But here we see more honor and dignity given to us as his image bearers. He gives us this incredible honor of entering into this perfect relationship of love and life. And you know what? It's what we're made for. It's why we were created. It's why we were redeemed to participate in this relationship at the center of the universe. You and I belong we belong there. One because in. One because in. One, not, be, not because we agree, not one because we hold the same doctrines, not one because we have the same form of government, not one because we hold the same political convictions, one because we are one in the oneness of God. Which is why Jesus says in verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. When we participate in the oneness of God, we participate in the glory of God. This glory, which is finally manifested in Jesus laying down his life for the life of the world, that glory he gives to us. We too get to experience that glory we too get to live by giving our lives away in servant love. We too get to live so gloriously. We too get to find life by losing it. And Jesus then says, this is actually how the world will believe he is who he says he is. World. World, what about the world? One of the most frequently asked questions about John 17 is, why does Jesus say he's not praying for the world? 
Did you ever wonder that? This is back in verse nine. Jesus says, I am praying for them, meaning he's praying for his disciples. But then he says, I am not praying for the world. So people ask, why doesn't Jesus pray for the world? And as I've studied John over the last few years, it's puzzled me even more because of what is said in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. (laughs) So if God loves the world, why doesn't Jesus pray for the world? Well, as I've said several times through our studies, world for John typically means human society organizing itself without God. It can simply mean the physical earth, like in verse five. But most of the time in John, world is human existence resisting, rejecting, and rebelling against God. So Psalm two, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. That's the world speaking. Human society choosing to organize itself without the light, even against the light. Therefore, the world, human society without God, is always tending toward darkness. So if this is the case, how should Jesus pray for the world? Should he really pray that the world be one like he does for his disciples? One in its resistance to the light? Should he really pray that the nations be united while not knowing God? I think C.K. Barrett says it best when he says the only hope for the world is precisely that it should cease to be the world. The only hope for human society organizing itself without God is that it cease to organize itself without God. The only hope for the world is for it to lay down its rejection, resistance, and rebellion and surrender to Jesus. In which case, it is no longer the world. Here's the thing, though. Although Jesus says he doesn't pray explicitly for the world, the whole prayer is world-oriented. The whole prayer is world-oriented. I think if I counted right, the word world occurs 18 times, 18 in the prayer. And almost all of them mean human society organizing itself without God. From verse six, where Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world, to verse 21, that the world may believe that you sent me, to verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me. Jesus desires for the world to know and believe him and particularly as a result of the oneness of his disciples. Particularly as the result of the inclusion of his given ones into the life and love of God. 
In other words, when the world sees disciples living within the oneness of the oneness of God, the world will conclude not only that the Father sent the Son, but will desire to enter into the life and love of God. When Jesus' disciples participate in the life and love of the triune God, when they live by giving themselves away for the world, the world will recognize, hey, there's something different about those people. There's something different about them. And they'll want to be drawn in. They'll be drawn to want to enter the oneness and stop being the world. Okay, so what else does Jesus desire for us? One other thing for today. Verse 17, Jesus says this, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Sanctify. It means to set apart for God or to be dedicated by God, for God, and his purposes. It's the verb from which we get the word saints. Saints are not perfect. They're just set apart. They're set apart by God, for God. They've, set, they've been set apart from the world and from themselves by God, for God. So Jesus' prayer here is, Father, as you keep the disciples in the world, Set them apart for yourself. Set them apart for yourself and your purposes. Consecrate them, Father. And set them apart in the truth. Keep them in the truth, Father. Keep the truth of you and me before them. Surround them, constrain them, hem them in with the truth, Father. And then he says, your word is truth. The means of sanctification is the truth of God's word. Jesus' desire for us is that we be set apart for his Father and for his purposes by living our lives kept in God's word and living our lives by God's word. In other words, as we soak in and absorb God's word, we become set apart for God and his purposes. We become sanctified. We begin to think the way God thinks. We begin to see things the way God sees them. We begin to hear things the way God hears them. We begin to act and react the way God acts and reacts. We become sanctified. This is why one of our family values here at PBCC is Devotion to the word. It's in de devoting ourselves to the word that we become sanctified, set apart for God. Well, Jesus then prays in verse 19, and for their sake I sanctify myself. It's because of this line that John 17 has been called the high priestly prayer at least since the 16th century. We're sanctified for God's purposes in the world by Jesus the truth sanctifying himself. By Jesus giving himself in loving obedience to his Father's purposes. By Jesus 
going to the cross. So Hebrews 10.10, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In a few hours, Jesus will go to the cross, the place of humiliation, but also paradoxically, exaltation. And at the cross, Jesus will reconcile the world to God. At the cross, Jesus will defeat death and defeat the ruler of this world. Tomorrow at the cross, Jesus will dedicate himself will sanctify himself, will consecrate himself by giving himself away as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that is why Good Friday is called good. Well, he desires more for us. But we'll have to wait till next Sunday to look at, that, to look at the other things. So after three weeks, what does Jesus desire for us? Well, he desires that we know we are gifts, that we have eternal life, that we be kept ones, that we have a fullness of joy, and that we be sanctified. Set apart by God, set apart for God and his purposes. And he desires that we be included in the oneness of God, included in the life and love of the triune God, that we be included in the divine dance, one because in, one because in. So I leave you with this observation from Dallas Willard from his book, The, the Divine Conspiracy. He says this, it is being included in the eternal life of God that heals all wounds and allows us to stop demanding satisfaction. What really matters of a personal matter, once it is clear that you are included. You are included. You are included. Amen. Well, this time I want to invite the choir back up here. And as they come, I want to just give us a little bit of time for reflection. As Derek plays, um, just spend some time reflecting on a God that loves you so much, he includes you in his life, in his relationships, in his love. This, the great Trinitarian benediction from 2 Corinthians. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forever.